2 Samuel chapter 11. I don't think I've ever preached it from this direction. This is the chapter where David is on the rooftop when he was supposed to be in battle. And the woman that he ends up connecting to in sinful relationship, her name was Bathsheba. But she was a married woman. And uh, she was married to a man by the name of Uriah. And so David is now trying to clean up the mess that he has made when uh, verse 5 said that she had conceived. And so David sent to Joab and he said, I want you to send Uriah the Hittite to me. And uh, when he came, verse 7, David demanded of him, how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but uh, you want to say to David right here, you know, if you were there, you'd know. It's a lot easier to stand around and talk about fighting than it is to be in the, in the battle. He said, I want to know how it's going. Tell me how, tell me how the battle is going. And David said to Uriah, he said, go down to the house, wash your feet. Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. This is translated that it was a large gift of food, that the king basically had his chefs prepare the finest of dinner, and he sent him a mess of food. It was a prepared meal. Verse 9, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord. And he went not down to his house. And when they told David, saying Uriah did not go to his house, David said to him, why thou, did, why did you come from that journey and why then did you not go to your house? Verse 11, this is where I want to draw my text tonight. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. My Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and my soul liveth? I will not do this thing. He said, sir, this is no time to quit. Turn to your neighbor and tell him we can't quit now. He said, we're in the middle of the battle. I can't, I can't come home and get comfortable right now. It's no good time to quit. He said, because the ark, Israel, and Judah are in the battle. They're in the battlefield. They're camping in tents. And he said, I've got at least three good reasons to be on the battlefield. I'm going to preach to you tonight. Three reasons to stay in the battle. Three reasons to stay in the battle. 
Hallelujah. Let's love the Lord together tonight. Come on, stretch your hands and your hearts towards heaven right now. God, we need you. Meet us in this place. I wish somebody would cry out right now, church. We need the good seed of the word of God to find good soil tonight that much fruit could come forth. Would you cry out to him right now? I wish you'd give him praise like he's been good to you tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Tonight, if we were to take the time to unpack this whole story and walk through the story, it's easy to get caught up, really, because... The main character of the story is David. David is the king. It's the time of year when kings go to battle. But David is not in the battle. He's at home. And he's laying on his bed and he's bored. It's basically what the scripture said. It was at the setting of the sun. It was late in the day. And he was bored. I don't know how many of you ever heard this when you were kids. But I grew up hearing this. That. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. I'm going to tell you, church, one of the most dangerous places to be in the end time church is boredom. There is no reason for boredom to be in your life in the end time church. There are too many people around us that are lost and dying without God for us to be bored. There are too many distractions. There's too much going on in the world right now for us to be bored. If, if you need somebody to break it down Gerber style and go into it all with you, I assume we could take the time to do that. But need I say much more than what we have seen transpire over the last few weeks in Israel with Hamas and the IDF and all of the things that are happening in the Middle East. And, you know, the funny thing is, when Hamas attacked Israel on that Sabbath morning at the end of the feast, everybody went crazy. And every pulpit was preaching about it. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody was saying, I really wonder if this could be the big one. And uh, it's so funny because now... Nobody says anything about it. The only people that are carrying on about it are the morons laying in the street screaming and crying for a ceasefire and running through buildings and acting like fools. I don't know everything that's going on behind the closed doors. I can tell you not everything feels right, but this is what I know. Jesus said, when you start to see these things, you better look up. He said, look up for your redemption draws nigh. And I'm going to tell you what I've been seeing is that we have become so comfortable with discomfort that we've now resigned ourselves to boredom when we should be in the battle. We ought to be fighting for all we're worth. We ought to be standing our ground. And I'm not here to chide anybody tonight. I'm not here to hurt anybody. But I think it ought to be said in our movement. This is, in my opinion, and forgive me for sounding blunt, this is the dumbest time in history to sit down. 
I don't think there's ever been a more crazy or ludicrous time to sit down in the kingdom of God when we should have been standing up and fighting for truth and fighting for righteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not going to lay my shield down in this day and time that we're living in. Somebody ought to make up in your mind tonight, I'm not going to be one of the backsliders. I'm not going to get cold in my spirit. I'm not going to walk away from what God is doing. I don't plan on quitting. Come on. Anybody in here tonight that stand up and just let the devil know I've got more fight in me than I've ever had in me. There is no quitting me tonight. I may have got a little cold, but I'm coming back to the fire. I may have got a little disjointed, but I'm coming back to the body. I may have got a little further away than I wanted to be, but I'm coming back home. I'm preaching to somebody tonight that may even be watching online. You've been standing on the fringes thinking about coming home. There's never been a better time to get in the battle. There's never been a better time to get in the fight. The devil will not win this thing. The devil does not get the final say. I'm glad to be on the winning side. I'm not going to quit when I already know I'm going to win. I'm not going to throw in the towel when I already know I've got the victory. Somebody give the Lord praise tonight. Distraction is running rampant. But when distraction is running and saints are sitting, that's not a good combination. You know, maybe it sounds a little bit elementary and juvenile to you when I say things like this. But I've always wanted to just stay on the move in the kingdom of God because at least a moving target's harder to hit. I want the devil to know if he's ever going to get to me, he's going to have to do it on the move. He ain't going to find me with my hands folded, sitting down, relaxing. I hope he finds me with the word of God in my hand and a word in my mouth and a sword. Come on. I hope he finds you busy in the kingdom of God. I don't plan on quitting. And so David, he got distracted, he got bored, and... uh, Man, we could go into it, but it's not really what I came to preach tonight. David's kind of the, he's kind of the head character in the story. But he involves himself with a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba that the Bible said she was pleasant to look upon and that she was very beautiful. And he ends up in a place that he never intended to be. And I say this not for the sake of repetition, but so that somebody will get it in their spirit. This is the typical unfolding of the story with any life that's functioning in a place that they're not supposed to be. That sin will take you further than you want to go. And it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. 
David did not anticipate when he saw the beauty of the woman bathing that his life was going to become a wreck and that she was going to conceive. But I would dare say tonight that there's not one backslider outside the walls of the church tonight that would admit openly this is exactly where I thought I'd be in a year. Because you can bow your shoulders up and you can act fake in your confidence and you can act like you're in control. But the truth is, the moment you walk out of the house of God, your world starts in a tailspin. And you don't have as much control as you think you do. You may think you're calling the shots, but the enemy is a manipulator. And he's moving your path. And he knows just who to send at just the right time. And I'll tell you what he loves to do. He loves to get a hook in your jaw that ends up costing you more than you ever dreamed that you would pay. Somebody needs to hear me tonight. Don't make the decision to walk away because it looks good. You got to lock yourself in to the presence of God and get in the battle. I sadly stand before you tonight to tell you that in the years that I have given my life to ministry and the love of people and counsel and pastoring and trying to help people get back on their feet, I will tell you that the percentage of success stories seem to be a lot less than the stories of those that just get buried up in it and can't find their way back home. All I'm saying to you tonight before I move on from this where I'm at right now and and get into the heart and meat of what I've come to preach to you this evening is that if you've got breath in your body and God's mercy has brought you to the house of the Lord, I don't care if you're watching online, I don't care if you're sitting in this room, I don't care if you're hearing this five days after I preach it on the internet, if you're breathing tonight, he's not finished with you. If you still got breath in your body, God is not finished with you. You may have made a mess, you may have turned things upside down, But I've come to preach to you tonight. you still got time to get back. And it's time to get back. It's the the epitome of the story of sin in David's life. David was far from a pauper. He was one of the wealthiest kings to ever live. As a matter of fact, the son that he produced... Solomon was perhaps the wealthiest man ever known and recorded in history. David was far from a poor man. David was a rich man. Why are you saying that, Pastor? Because I don't care how rich you are. You can't buy your way out of the grasp of sin. I don't care who your daddy is. I don't care who your mama is. I don't care care what your genetic bloodline is. You cannot buy yourself out of the grips of sin. You've got to want to walk out of it. You've got a desire to get out of it. And if you're going to come out of it, it's not just going to be because somebody comes and drags you out. Listen to what I'm telling you tonight. Nobody can drag you out of what you want to stay in. 
There's nobody in the world that has the power to preach you out of a dungeon that you love to live in. There's nobody that has the kind of sermon they can preach that'll make you want to get out of something that you've fallen in love with. But if somehow tonight you could open your heart to the conviction power of the Holy Ghost and let God move on you and let God's spirit in your mind and in your spirit and in your body and say God I've tried it on my own and I'm not doing very well I give you full control tonight I give you control of everything tonight Uh, I promise you if preaching alone could get it done we'd get it done because I'd find somebody that can preach good enough to make it happen I'd find somebody I'd call somebody to come in here and say, I need you for three months. (laughs) But the thing about it is, it don't matter who they are, how good they preach, how much they throw down, how much they sweat. If you love being where you are, the Bible. People quote it a lot and say that truth will make you free. That's not, that's not biblical. The Bible said you shall know truth. Truth is not what sets you free. Known truth is what sets you free. I can preach truth to you all day long, but if you don't want to know that truth, well, come on, I believe I could turn a young person loose and let him finish this sermon right now because the Holy Ghost is saying, What he wants to say in this room right now. I said known truth will make you free. What's that mean? That means when truth comes forth and you grab hold of it and say that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want right there. I have to be so careful how I say this. Because I don't ever want to hurt anybody. I get tired sometimes of trying to figure out creative ways to phrase things, but my dad and I shared a meal the other day with uh, my opinion, for whatever it's worth, probably one of the greatest preachers that I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I don't want to bore you, with, but I'm talking about hermeneutically homiletically, he just had it, just powerful, walked away from the Lord and uh, got his life in a mess, we were sitting at the table and my dad asked him, he said, do you ever miss preaching? He said, God, yes. And then he started telling us about things that were on his heart. Things that God had put in his spirit. And immediately my mind went to the story that I've told in this church so many times when I was a kid. Of the preacher that had backslid and left his church. My dad had preached revival for him and then he was preaching revival for the next pastor. And the former pastor who had fallen in sin came to visit with my dad and the pastor. And we were standing in the lobby of that little little church. He just walked in. Old-fashioned church, a couple bathrooms right there, a little small area. And then you walked into the sanctuary. 
And that man stood there talking to my dad and the pastor and had tears in his eyes. And he was looking around and he said, just think all this used to be mine. He said, I had access to all of this. And he told my dad, I'll never forget it, I was a kid. And it's literally changed course in my life through the years when thoughts would cross my mind. But he told my dad, he said, I still get sermons he said, God will give me sermons sitting on a bar stool. God will give me sermons laying in my bed at night. But I've got nowhere to preach it. <laughs> Listen to me. It don't start off with having sermons and nowhere to preach it. It starts off with laying in your bed while the battle's going on. It starts off with being in the wrong place at the wrong time. God, I'm reaching for you tonight. It starts with disobeying the will of God. It starts with that just missing just a little bit because it's not going to hurt me. I'm strong enough. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul said, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he should fall. I don't care how spiritual you are. You are one poor decision away from a backslidden state. I'm reaching for you tonight. And I'm saying you may have made the decision. And you may have walked further than you wanted to walk. But you're not so far that you can't get back to God. And so now David, David's in a mess. And honestly, I didn't have the intention of staying here this long. But David's in a mess because that's the way it, it always leads to. I, <laughs> I'm just telling you. It's not like there's going to be a new revelation that comes out in 2024 that it's going to be different. I, I really do wish there was a way that we could get generations to learn. What your family went through, what, what saints of God had gone through, what it looked like to backslide. You know, this is what's so silly to me. It looks exactly the same in 2023 to backslide as it did in 1986. And it looked the same in 1986 as it did in 1923. It starts with getting cold. It starts with getting separated. It starts with getting out of the battle while everybody else is fighting. And then you get critical of people that are in the battle. Listen to this now. It's amazing to me how wonderful the church is. Oh, Lord. I'm fixing to ruin this whole night. It's amazing how wonderful the church is when you're in trouble. But when your spirit gets critical, there's not a church that's good enough. It's amazing how wonderful the preacher is when he's preaching everything you love to hear. But when you get critical and bitter in your spirit, there ain't a preacher that's good enough anyway. The Bible said that David called Uriah and had Uriah come. He had sent the word and said, I want you to tell him that I want Uriah to come home. Tell Joab to send him home and then Joab sends Uriah and because David as every backslider gets to is in a critical mindset he asked Uriah said how's Joab doing with this thing is he a good leader are you hearing what I'm saying it's textbook 
Oh, he was just asking him about the battle for conversation. He was giving Uriah the opportunity to be critical. And I'm going to tell you why. Because critical, bitter spirits love to be with critical, bitter spirits. I wish there was another way to put it. But birds of a feather will always flock together. It's unreal. He said, how's he doing? How's Joab doing with the battle? Everything all right? He was waiting for Uriah to say, that joker's sorry. If he'd have done this last week, we'd already been finished with this battle. He was trying to get him to speak out against Joab in the battle. But it didn't work. Woo! I'm preaching to some people tonight. That it ain't going to have any effect on you. Let them say what they want to say. Let them do what they want to do. Let them act how they want to act. You had your mind made up before you left the battlefield. I'm not going home to stay. Now I'm not saying tonight that David was... A wretch and he was a mess and there was nothing that God could do with him. We know the end of that story. Okay. We know how God restored David. But I want to deal with this obscure character that is stuck in the middle of the narrative. He is, in my opinion, the innocent bystander that gets destroyed. But before you get so sad about his destruction, just understand his mindset was, I would rather die in the battle than to live at home. And so David calls me and he says, well, I ain't going to get him to say nothing about Joab. So what else can I do? His wife is pregnant. I really need to get him to go home and cover it up because you get to the place, believe it or not, where you can't cover it up on your own anymore. It finally gets to the place that you need a little help to cover it up because it's deeper than you thought you'd go. He said, well, I guess I'm just going to send him home to his wife because David's thought was if we could just get rid of him, if I could get him to speak out against Joab, then we could try him for treason. I could hang him or we could take his life. And then I can go into her because it's an open market. Then, then it's all good. Couldn't get him to do it. So he said, look, I'm going to send him home. And we're going to act like he got his wife pregnant. They didn't have any way of telling then like they do now, run the old blood test. And get, you know, Jerry Springer wasn't kicking around back then. I am sorry to tell you, Uriah, you are not the father. He said, we're going to work this out. We're going we're to make it right. And David thought he had the plan together. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send him home with a mess of meat. I'm going to send him home with a fine meal. I'm going to send him home with the king's wine and the king's meat. And I'm going to be sure that tomorrow my sin has been covered. Ladies and gentlemen, 
<laughs> you can't cover it on your own. He said, I'm going to be sure that it's covered. But what he did not know, and I don't want to make David out as a villain because he was a man after God's own heart, but he was backslid. He was in a, he was in a bad place. But I'm going to tell you what David didn't know in his backslidden state is that he was messing with a man who had a made-up mind. He was messing with a man that refused to quit. He was messing with a man that didn't buy a one-way ticket to come home. His plan was not to come home and prop his feet up. His plan was he came home in obedience to see what he could do. But he didn't come home to lay down. He didn't come home to relax. David went to bed that night and he slept and he thought tomorrow morning... When I get up, my sin is going to be covered because Uriah's been in the battle and he's going to go into Bathsheba and they're going to have intimacy together. And then whether, whether or not anybody else knows, when she comes up pregnant, I'm going to send him back into the field and it's going to look like that he came home and got her pregnant. Then I'm off the hook and nobody knows. David slept better that night than he had in weeks. He went to bed and he said, I've got it all figured out. I have outwitted sin. I have outwitted the devil. I've outwitted adultery. Because everybody thinks they have. I've outwitted the system. I've got it all figured out and nobody's ever going to know. But David woke up the next morning. The sun was coming up. He opened up his beautiful windows and they saw the light coming from under his door as he was standing there drinking a cup of coffee. And somebody knocked on his door and said, Oh, king, oh, king. Yeah, what is it? And he yawns and pulls his robe together, takes another sip of hot coffee. What can I do for you, my servant? Uh, oh, king, we have a slight problem. Oh, do we now? Somebody tell me, what's the problem? The sun's coming up. This coffee's good. I slept good last night. What could be the problem and why are you bothering me? He said, we have an issue, your highness. Well, tell me the issue. Sir, Uriah is sleeping outside of your door. What do you mean he's sleeping outside my door? Sir. We didn't want to trouble you in your rest last night. But no sooner than you disappeared down the hallway and the train of your robe disappeared around the corner, we heard a rustling at the front door. And when the servant went to check the door, Uriah had curled up in the fetal position and was laying at the door of your house last night. He said, you mean to tell me he laid there all night long, sir? That's what we're telling you. He never went home. He sent the food home to his wife, and he came back, and he slept here. So he never went to Bathsheba. Sir, we're telling you he's been here all night long. He said, so what you're telling me is that the plan did not work. He said, go get him and bring him up here to me. I got to talk to him. Uriah, what's wrong with you, son? I brought you home from the battlefield. I gave you an opportunity. 
opportunity for success. I gave you the opportunity to go home and relax and lay in the bosom of your wife and the warmth of your own bed and eat at your own table. He said, sir, that's not success. He said, I have brethren that are on the battlefield. There's no way that I could be at home at rest while my brethren are on the battlefield. He said, sir, I want something to be crystal clear. He said, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. I'm not going to come home and dwell in my house. Okay, Pastor, the ark, Israel, Judah, big whoopty. I'm fixing to preach to you tonight till my socks fall down around my ankles. I'm here to preach to somebody tonight. I want you to notice his priorities. He said, I could not stay in my house because the ark was in a tent. As he laid outside that night, of the king's door, the priority on his mind was not his beautiful wife. It was the glory. He said, I don't care about being where I'm accepted. I don't care about being where it's easy. I want to be where the glory is. If I had time to preach it to you tonight, we'd get into that ark, but I think you have enough spiritual cognizance to understand what I'm saying. That ark was more than a piece of furniture. When they took that ark with them, it's because the Shekinah glory rested upon that ark. It was literally the manifested presence of God. And Uriah said, you're not going to find me laying at home in a bed of rest while his glory is over there. I'm not going to pull my feet into the bed while the glory of God is somewhere else. God, give us a spirit that we're going to be where his presence is. I'm going to be where his glory is. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what I have to give up. I'm not going to lay in the lap of luxury when I can be in his presence. I don't care how much they pay me. I don't care how big the house is. I don't care how nice the car is. I want his glory. He said, the ark is in the tent. Therefore, I will not be in my house. Sir, I didn't come here so that I would have a good excuse. And if anybody had one, he did. He said, I didn't come here to have a good excuse to get out of the battle. I'm not looking to leave. I don't want to leave the battle because the battle is where the glory is. The battle is where the presence is. I'm telling you, you can build a church on programs if you want to. You can build a church. You can build a church on letting down all you want to let down. You can stop preaching all you want to stop preaching. You can throw holiness out the door. 
You can do whatever you want to, but you're not going to raise up an army. You're going to raise up a gathering. And if you want a gathering, then a gathering is what you're going to have. But David, I know you're in a bad state of mind right now, but you put something in me as my king. When it's time to fight, we fight. I'm not going to sit down. I want to raise up a generation of generals, a generation of fighters, that wherever the battle is, that's where you'll find me. I wasn't there. So there's no way that I can verify it, but I want to tell you, I believe because of the words that came out of his mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, mouth speaks. I believe that every time Uriah would close his eyes, please forgive me if it sounds like I'm trying to be, I'm, 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 I'm not trying to be brash or crude. But you would think when a man who'd been away at battle would close his eyes and think about his wife. But apparently when he closed his eyes, all he could see was the glory. Every time he'd lay his head down, try to close his eyes and go to sleep on that uncomfortable front porch, he'd see himself walking past that tent. That's where it is. That's where it is. You know what I've been praying? I've been praying for backsliders out of this church. That when they close their eyes, God will show them this building. That's where the glory is. Oh, God. I've been praying for my family. That's been cold, left the Lord. Maybe we prayed for him for years. Been saying, God, when they close their eyes, let him see that tent of dwelling. I believe that God has a way of visiting backsliders, that they can wake up in the middle of the night feeling the presence of the Lord. While there's no worldly influence around them, there's no, I, I'm going to tell you, I believe a backslider can wake up with tears coming down their cheek. I believe a back. I believe they can wake up singing the songs of Zion in the middle of the night. I believe they can wake up quoting scripture in the middle of the night. I'm preaching a message tonight that I hope falls outside the walls of this building. I pray that what I'm preaching right now will go to the bedside of a cold and indifferent backslider. And that the prayers will be heard. That they'll wake up in the night dreaming about the glory. God, if they were preachers of the gospel, let them wake up preaching. God, if they used to sing in the choir, let them wake up singing. Come on, let's lift our hands right now. 
God's trouble in the waters. God, I don't care if they've moved to the other side of this country. I don't care if they're living on the west coast or the east coast. There's a church there too. Shoo! I believe that Uriah laid on the porch dreaming about the glory. He knew what it felt like in the camp when he'd get up and leave his tent. He began to brush the dew off of his clothing. But he'd look up in the middle of the camp. And there it was. There's the glory. We're going to be all right for another day. Because there's the glory. He said, sir, I can't go home. Because the ark is in a tent. He said, and Israel is in a tent. What is Israel? Symbolically, Israel is the body. It's the family of God. In the New Testament, we would say it's the body of Christ. Israel represents God's chosen people. Israel is the church. He said, I can't stay here. Because I want to be with the church. I can't stay here and get comfortable. Because I want to be where the church is. Every time the doors are open. I want to be where the church is. I don't care if it's a Wednesday night Bible study. Or a Sunday night. I want to be where the church is. And if the doors are open sir. I'm going to be there. You won't find me laying in my bed on a Sunday night. I'm going to be with the church. I'm going to be with God's people. You can say what you want to. You can say what you will. But I'm old-fashioned enough to believe that in an atmosphere just like this, that chains can still fall off, that deliverance can still come, that you can be set free in this house right now. I still believe that you can be filled with the Holy Ghost right now. I believe that you can be delivered right now. Let them laugh. Let them make fun. But there's something that happens when God's people get together. There's something that happens when we begin to dance before the Lord. There's something that happens when we begin to run the aisles. Thank God for the church. He said, I'm not going to stay here and tune in online. (laughs) Uriah said, I'm not about to go lay at home with mama and watch my iPhone and watch church. 
That's made, that has made so many church hoppers that we don't know what to do with it. Because if you don't like what this guy's saying, you'll go watch that guy. And you'll, you'll keep on church hopping online till you find somebody that's finally singing the song you like and preaching the sermon you like. I'm going to tell you what. The devil, the devil tried to make the church believe that the new normal was going to be online. But I'm going to tell him he's got a surprise coming. Because there's a hunger that's happening right now in the hearts of people. Oh, God, I'm not here to be critical. Lord, help me right now. But there's a hunger in the hearts of people that they're sick of eating cereal in the sanctuary. They're tired of eating their donuts and coffee in the sanctuary. Somebody wants to get back to some old-fashioned, sin-killing, devil-chasing. Somebody wants to get back to choir singing. Somebody wants to get back to preaching the word. I want to be with the church. You mean to tell me that Uriah, being with a bunch of soldiers, never had an argument with any of them? Come on, somebody. Brother Mike, you ever fussed with any of your fellow officers? Probably not. He's a good man. I'm going to tell you something. God help me tonight. You can live your life offended if you want to. But if you realize how bad we need each other in the fight. I don't care if somebody may have offended me. But I need you worse today than I've ever needed you. I'm going to tell you church. I'm about to step out here. And I'm going to be bold and tell you this. I don't care what Jimmy Swagger says. You will not make it in the end time without a church. You are not going to survive the perils of this present world without the church family. We're going to have to put our egos aside and we're going to have to put our little feelings aside and we're going to have to put our spirit of offense aside and we're going to have to yoke up with somebody and say, I need you fighting with me more than I want to be fighting against you. I need you standing with me. We've got to be shoulder to shoulder and arm in arm. We need the body. We need one another. We've got to have the church. You know how many morons he had to deal with? You know how many stupid people there were in that army? He said, I don't want to be here while my brothers are out there fighting. He wasn't worried about what they said to him. He wasn't worried about what they had been through privately. He just knew they needed each other in the battle. Makes me want to stay there for a while. He said, I want to be where the glory is. 
And I want to be with the church. If you look historically, there's some, there's some, I guess, obscurity as to why at this season in time he would separate Judah from Israel. It didn't make a lot of sense really, but he said the ark and Israel and Judah are intense. And I'm not going to be at home. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that Uriah had a formula for revival. <laughs> he said, I want to be where his glory is. And I want to be where his church is. And I want to be where praise is. It's all right if you want to let praise do its own thing. But, sir, you're not going to find me separated from praise. Because praise is the reason why I have the victory. So you can stand around and talk about the battle. But I want to get back to Judah. I want to get back to where praise is. I don't want to just stand around and talk about the good old days. I don't want to stand around and talk about how they used to worship. I believe I'm going to get up off this porch and I'm going to dance for my own self. I believe I'm going to get up off this porch and I'm going to shout the victory for my own self. I don't want somebody else getting a breakthrough and me sitting at home. I want to be where praise is. I'm going to praise him for myself. I'm going to shout for myself I'm going to run for myself I want to be with praise If you're waiting on good preaching It ain't going to get any better There is nothing better than the power of praise I'm telling you when you're depressed Praise will bring you out I'm telling you when you're down Praise will lift you up When you don't know where to go Praise will light the way If I had time I'd go into this But I, I don't I want you to notice the reason why the things mattered to Uriah that they did is because although he was in a backslidden state, his king had taught him a few things. He said, you can't separate the ark, Israel, and praise. Because when David became the king, he went after the ark. And when he got the ark, he walked six paces with Israel. And the Bible said that he started dancing. And David... Let him know as a leader, I'm not dancing because God's finished. I'm not dancing because the ark is back in Jerusalem. I'm dancing because it's six paces closer than it was when we started. Here's the power of praise. Praise doesn't just thank him for what he's done. Praise has an ability to bless him for what's on the way. Praise has an ability to bless him for what he's about to do. I'm here to tell somebody at the closing of this year tonight, the reason why I want to be with praise is not just for what he's done, but I'm going to go ahead tonight and give him a 2024 praise. I'm going to go ahead tonight and give him a praise for what he's about to do.
give him praise tonight. Come on, we're not waiting on the instruments. We're not waiting on the beat tonight. You don't have to have a band to have praise. You don't have to have a band to have victory. I wish somebody get a head start on the music right now and just go ahead and give God praise.